Amen. Well, good morning. As you guys are being seated, uh, let me welcome you to Crossroads. We're excited that you're here. And you know, it just kind of it kind of struck me uh, just a moment ago as we were singing. Uh, and you have no lyrics. Uh, you have no screens. D- doesn't it kind of seem, in, in a weird spiritual kind of way, that God is kind of stripping away all the things that have made us comfortable? I mean, in life, I mean, what we've gone through the last two years, it just seems like that in a weird kind of spiritual way that God is saying, you know what, why don't you just focus on all the basic things? And why don't you just focus on what's important? Not that we're not going to have screens again, not that we're not going to have lights and we're not going to have fog and we're not going to have air conditioning and we're not going to have worship guides, but sometimes it's that thing that we've kind of used as a crutch that God kind of knocks that crutch out from under us and says, why don't you rely on me instead of all the other things that you think make you comfortable? A couple of weeks ago, I was scrolling through, speaking of comfort, <laughs> I, was, I was scrolling through email and, and I ran across a subject line in one of my emails that said, Tennessee's most expensive home. And, and of course, with the price of real estate, and I know we have some real estate people here, uh, I thought, you know, I've got to look and see where this house is because I want to see what the most expensive house in Tennessee is. And it was like for sale for like $50 million. Uh, and it was in, well, imagine this, in Belmede. Uh, and what was interesting is this. It was on uh, 59 acres of land, not like a normal one or two acre track that you find at most places. And I scrolled through the pictures, and you might expect it's about a half mile off the road, has these massive gates at this massive entrance that keeps people like me from being able to get back to that house. I can't see it or I can't get to it, and neither can you. And literally, I was, I was looking at this email and, and the, uh, the, the linked article to that, and it was while I was reading this article that I was reminded of a story, a story that Jesus actually tells. It's actually a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 16. And in this story, Jesus kind of juxtapositions these two very different characters. You have a guy who lives in a house like the one that I was just talking about. Behind a gate, lots of money, lots of toys. He had people who attended to him and helped him live his everyday life. They take him anywhere he goes. He has the best chariot that anybody could want. Wore the best clothes, ate at the best restaurants, And if they would have had one back then, I bet he would have found himself on the Forbes list of the richest people in the world. I mean, this was just a guy who was just out there living the life. But Jesus tells this story, and in this same story, there's another guy. And this other guy stands in stark contrast to the first guy. See, the second guy was a guy by the name of Lazarus, and Lazarus was a poor guy. And every day, Lazarus would sit outside the gate of the other guy's house, just sitting there at the gate, hoping and praying that 
maybe one of the hired help from the house would see him and bring out some leftovers or, or something to drink. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the name Lazarus simply means God has helped. But when you look at the story that Jesus tells, there's no indication that the guy inside that house who had all the money and all the opulence, there's no indication that he ever did anything to help the guy who was sitting outside his gates. In fact, Lazarus had it so bad that Jesus says, and the story goes, that Lazarus had these sores all over his body. And that the dogs from the city would come by and they would lick the sores that Lazarus had on his body. And Jesus tells this story, and as he gets to what, I, I don't know any other way to describe it, what would kind of be called the, maybe the punchline, although it's not a funny story. But when Jesus gets to this punchline, he tells us that, that these two guys, the rich man and Lazarus, they both die at the very same time on the very same day. The rich guy who lived behind the gates who in that culture probably would have been a millionaire or multimillionaire, dies at the same time Lazarus, and when he dies, he's totally unprepared for what would happen to him and what waited for him beyond the grave. Because, you see, the, the rich guy had never given any thought to the spiritual aspect of his life. He had never given any attention to God's activity in his life. And maybe today that's just a reminder for some of us. Maybe you've never paid attention to God. Maybe you've just lived your life doing all the things, going to the lake, having a good time, Beers with the boys, fun with the girls. And you've never opened yourself up to God's activity in your life. Maybe you've never dealt with the spiritual dimension of your life. And maybe this morning, if you're honest, you're totally unprepared when it comes to what's waiting for you beyond the grave. And again, I, I could read this story and we could look at this story and there are lots of things that I could teach and talk about and tell you from this story, but this morning, here's the thing, I just want to focus on one thing. Because not only had this millionaire not given any thought to what was going to happen to him beyond death, beyond the grave, this, this guy behind the gate in the big opulent house with all the stuff had never given any thought, never given any attention. He had never showed any love to this beggar, Lazarus, who was living just outside of his gates. 
And see, again, Jesus tells the story, and you, and you kind of wonder, well, maybe as he went in, out, in and out of the gates in his chariot, maybe he couldn't see Lazarus. I mean, maybe from inside of that nice chariot, he was sitting back, and Lazarus was down by the gate, and he just couldn't see him. But as I read this story, it kind of reminded me of, of my own life. And that there was a time in my life when I will tell you this morning that I was really prideful about the things that I could see. I was really prideful of the fact that, you know, when I would be riding with certain people, that they would tell me, can, can you tell me what that sign ahead says? And, and I could read that sign with clarity, and they would say, well, we couldn't see it because it's blurry. And I would kind of laugh at them and say, you know what? I can see like a fly a mile away. And, and I would read the sign, and I would tell them what the sign would say. And my vision was good. But one day... I started to have trouble seeing those signs. They started to get blurry for me. So I made an appointment to go to the eye doctor, which, by the way, I have to go to the eye doctor this week. And the eye doctor told me that I was nearsighted. That I could see the things with clarity up close, but, but I was starting to have trouble seeing the things that were further away. And again, this whole nearsighted thing, it's really a great description for, for, for me and for the way I lived my life for many years. Because, see, I'll tell you this, this morning, for many years, I had a great house, I had a great car, I had a great job, I wore nice clothes, I got to eat at some really nice restaurants, I got to travel, I got to go places, I got to do the things I wanted to do. So it didn't matter to me if other people had a need. So what if there were issues like poverty and racism and injustice and disease? I could easily see my needs. I just don't see far away. And through the years, this has been an area of my life where I will tell you that I've been one of those people that have needed God's help. Because through the years, I've needed God to kind of correct my vision. I've needed God to give me corrective lenses so that I could start to see things in my life a little differently. But here's the thing, being nearsighted wasn't my only problem. The doctor also informed me, I mean, I like went from perfect vision to being nearsighted to now he says, you know, you have astigmatism. And with that stigmatism, that means that you can't do LASIK surgery to correct your vision. And here's the thing. We can also have a spiritual stigmatism. And it's that spiritual stigmatism that causes you and I not to see the needs of this world. Because those needs are kind of blurry. And we can't see someone. Or we just look past a disability or a skin color or another issue. 
We can't see the people in the world. We can't see the needs that they have. So here's the thing. If I can't see the needs that other people have, then you know what I necessarily, you know what I do? I just don't make room for those people in my life. Because I'm not seeing people the way that Jesus sees people. Now, it only gets worse from here, people. Listen, not only am I nearsighted, and this is all true. You want to go with me to see Dr. Kim on Thursday, Vanderbilt? I'll be there at 8 o'clock. My appointment's at 8 o'clock. I will leave here about 5.30. I know I'm crazy, but I get there. I'm always on time. Not only am I nearsighted, and not only do I have astigmatism, but it was shortly after that that I started having other issues with my eyes. And that's when I realized that I'm also farsighted. Now, let me bring that home spiritually. Spiritually speaking, when we're farsighted, you know what that means? You can see everybody else's issues but your own issues. You can see the speck in everybody else's eye, but you can't see the log in yours. And if we're spiritually farsighted, then we rarely take the time to look at our own life. We rarely pray the prayer asking God to help us to look at what's happening in our life so that we can make the changes that we need to make in our own lives. And and here's the thing, if you refuse to pray prayers like that, then eventually you're going to become blinded to the needs of this world. You're going to be just like the rich guy in the story that Jesus talks about. And maybe here's what's more, even more interesting. You see, in the New Testament, Jesus refers to the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Listen to what he refers them to or as. He refers to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, as blind guides. Again, Scripture tells us that that one day Jesus heals a man that had been born blind from birth. And the religious leaders were more upset with the fact that Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath then they could celebrate the fact that a man who was blind could now see. And that's the very reason why I believe a self-righteous heart is the most dangerous heart. Because here's the thing, when you have a self-righteous heart, and I know people that do, but when you have a self-righteous heart, You're just blind. You see, I can tell you this morning that when it came to the spiritual aspects of my life for far too many years, I wore glasses like this, just like these goggles. Far too many years, I wore glasses like those goggles. They they were like safety goggles. 
And, and the reason why I would live my life wearing goggles like this is because, you know what, when, I, when, when there were people out there who had a need, I wanted to be able to keep myself and them at a distance. I wanted to keep them at a safe distance between me and them, between me and the poor. I wanted to keep a distance between me and poverty, a distance between me and the people who had needs. In other words, I wanted to keep a distance between me and the people who are outside the gates in my life. And you would say, well, why, why would you want to keep a distance between you and the people who have needs? And I'll tell you why. Because I was afraid that person who had a need would take advantage of me. I'm not going to give to them. I'm not going to help them. Because when I give them something that's mine, they might misuse it or they might mishandle it. They might take advantage of me and my resources and my time. Or they might ask me to do something. So knowing that, how do we respond? We respond by putting on these because we want to keep a safe distance. And I'll tell you this morning, you, you need to be careful with your resources. You need to be careful who you give your time to, who you give your money to. But so many times, our failure to do something is simply a lack of love. It's a lack of courageous love. It's just a cover-up. Because you see, if you go back to the days of Jesus, the untouchables, they were the lepers. But now we still have untouchables. They're not lepers, but we still have untouchables. We still have those people who sit outside of our gates. What's the untouchable to you? I mean, think about it this morning. We all have untouchables. What's your untouchable? The person of another race? Somebody of another social standing? Untouchable because maybe they, they dress a little differently because of their education? Are they untouchable because they voted different from you? I mean, maybe it's somebody that's got a, 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 a maybe they're just a little tatted up. Now, I know the 10 o'clock service knows what tatted up means, but for the 830 service, I'll tell you, that's tattoos, okay? Maybe they're a little more pierced than you're comfortable with. Maybe they're a little more punctured up than you're comfortable with. Are they untouchable because they have a special need or special needs that you're not comfortable dealing with? John Ortberg wrote these words, and again, these, these message notes are on the Facebook page there if you want to go to Crossroads, uh, facebook.com forward slash Crossroads Lebanon. You'll find it there. But John Ortberg writes these words. He says, in a contagious world, we learn to keep our distance. And see, we know that coming out of these last two years. In a contagious world, we learn to keep our distance. If we get too close to those who are suffering, we might get infected with their pain. 
It might not be convenient or comfortable, but only when you get close enough to catch their hurt will they be close enough to catch your love. A study was done of, of evangelical Christians. And you say, well, what's an evangelical Christian? It's people who believe the Bible, who believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. But a study was done of evangelical Christians. And the study asked if they thought that poverty was an issue that the church should take the lead in. Now listen to what I'm about to tell you. In a study of evangelical Christians, only 14% of those surveyed as an evangelical Christian believe that the church should get involved when it comes to poverty, to the needs of other people. In other words, what that is saying is this. 86% of the people who sit in a church just like this are unconcerned about poverty in our community and in our country and in our world. But I'm going to be honest with you this morning. For most of my life, I lived in that 86%. I didn't realize it, but listen. I didn't realize I was in the 86%, but you know how it showed? It showed in my actions. And the reason why I was a part of the 86% is simply because I never got close enough to the issue. I never got outside my own gates to touch and to taste and to smell and to personalize the issue of poverty. I was not haunted by my lack of involvement. And here's what I think the problem is. Let me, let me read this from 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. It says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? If anyone has material position, uh, possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? I mean, just think about what's written there. That's convicting, isn't it? I mean, it's convicting. Because if we're, if we're seeing a need and if we're unresponsive to that need, then how can the love of God be in us? And you say, well, Randy, okay, well, what does the, lot of the love of God look like? And I'll just tell you very simply, if you want to see the love of God, look at Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. So for, what forms does that take? What expressions does that love take? You see, if there's anything that I think God is saying, he's saying that when it comes to the way that I live my life, 
you're going to take off these kind of glasses, these safety glasses. And, and, and instead, you're going to put on another pair of glasses. And this is the way you're going to live your life. You're going to live your life wearing these kind of glasses. Anybody know what these are? 3D glasses. You ever seen a movie in 3D? It's so weird. I haven't been to the movies since before COVID, and the last 3D movie I, st- movie I saw was Kung Fu Panda. Well, if there's anything that Jesus showed us, Jesus showed us God-like love. He showed us love in three dimensions. So, so I want to show you what that love looks like from a passage in chapter 9 of the book of Matthew. But before we go there, I'm going to give you those three dimensions first. And after you get these, we're going to unpack these. But Jesus really shows us this 3D kind of love, and it takes three different forms. Here's the very first one. The very first one is holistic love. The second thing is a penetrating vision. And the third dimension is activistic faith. Holistic love, a penetrating vision, and activistic faith. So, so the very first one is holistic love. And you think, well, you know, that kind of sounds kind of, it sounds, you know. What does holistic love look like? Well, when we say holistic love, what does that mean? Well, look at Matthew chapter 9 or listen to Matthew chapter 9 verse 35 because it will not be on the screen. It will be here right here or you can look at it on our Facebook page. But here's what it says in Matthew chapter 9 verse 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So let's take a minute and look at that. Notice what Jesus is doing with his life. He's going through the town, he's going through the villages, and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And the good news is exactly what Julio alluded to just a moment ago. The good news is that God sent his only son for people. The good news is that God can change your life, that God can change your soul. Because Jesus could not even think about Spending eternity without every person on this earth, in this service, being in his presence. So Jesus goes to the towns and Jesus goes to the villages to share the good news with the people. But it goes on in that verse, and here's what else it says. He went about healing every disease and sickness. Now, I want you to see this. Notice that the first part that I talked about, Jesus was concerned about the spiritual, but he's also concerned about the physical, which was healing every disease and sickness. And I want to tell you what I've seen for years. I've seen churches who have fallen on one side or the other when it comes to these two issues. Now, just, just go with me. Just, just stick with me here. 
We have these churches that get all concerned about the spiritual. About helping people plan for this very last day that they're going to live on this planet. And life beyond the grave. They help people plan for eternity. And let me tell you, we should be concerned about that. But on the other hand, we have churches that don't give as much attention to that. And instead, that church is focused on poverty, disease, to fighting injustice. And that's a good thing as well. We have churches that really focus on the spiritual. We have churches that really focus on the physical. But, but in what we just read in Matthew just a moment ago, Jesus really said, I want you to be concerned about both of those. Yes, you need to be concerned about the spiritual formation aspect of people's lives. You need to be concerned about spiritual discipleship. But there's a ministry to the physical needs, the emotional needs, the medical needs, the nutritional needs of the other people in this world. Those are the two kinds of churches. But there needs to be a third kind of church. A church that sees to both of those, the spiritual and the physical. Because that's the thing that we're called to. We're invited to redeem and restore this broken world now where we live. It's not just about what happens after people die. It's that first dimension of love. It's a holistic love. But look at the next verse, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Now remember, Jesus is going about the towns and villages, proclaiming the good news, healing every disease, every sickness. But Matthew says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. When you see the word compassion, in that day, now hold with me on this. In that day, when you use the word compassion, it meant you were moved. It really meant that you were moved in your bowels. It's like the way that we say today, well, bless your heart. Well, in that day and time, they would say that it touched them so much that it moved their bowels. So Jesus, when he saw people and their physical needs, their spiritual needs, he was moved. It's that second dimension. He looked at them with a penetrating vision. But for many years, as I lived my life and I, I looked at the things that were happening in this world, I have to let you know when it came to the needs of people in this world, I was nearsighted. I failed to see the needs of other people because I had lived my life, and as I had lived my life, what was I concerned about? I was only concerned about me. I was only concerned about my needs. 
And you may ask me, well, what, what was the change? What was the thing that changed it for you? And I'll tell you, it was the process of God doing something in my life where God allowed me to see that there's a world out there beyond my world. It's when I traveled to Africa. It's when I traveled to Haiti. That was when I was moved about the needs of people beyond me. And people have always told me that those kind of trips, a mission trip to, to a third world country, will change your life. And I will tell you this morning, it changed my life. It was seeing those needs with my own eyes. It was hearing those sounds with my own ears. It was smelling those smells with my own nose. Just going to Africa and seeing the fact that people didn't have clean drinking water to drink. That they were dealing with constant hunger. Chronic illness. Inadequate housing. It was like God said, okay, Randy, do you see it? Do you see it now? It, it was like God handed me a pair of these glasses, the, the ones with the lenses on the side, these peripheral vision glasses, because he wanted me to see it all. Because you see, when God rocked my world, it increased my vision for the people in this world who are living their life on the edge. Because you see, sometimes in the church, we get busy. We get busy doing good things. We get so busy doing the good things that we just don't have margin in our lives for those people who are out there living their life on the edge. And that's why, as a church, I want us to stay focused and come in here pursuing God on Sunday morning. Building community during the week, which we're doing a terrible job of right now. But also unleashing compassion in this community and around the world. We need to stay focused. And, and let me tell you, we're not going to do all the things that other churches do. Because we want to create margin in our lives for the broken corners. The broken people, the messy people that live in our community. We, we want to pray those prayers. God, put somebody in my path today. And help me see them the way that Jesus see them, saw them. Help me see them with a penetrating vision. So we have holistic love. We have a penetrating vision. And the third aspect of this, what I call this 3D love that Jesus talks about, is something this morning that we're going to call an activistic faith. Notice that, that after Jesus sees the crowds, that he was moved with compassion, with that penetrating vision, that he says this in verse 37, that it says this in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, 
the harvest, oh, don't I know this right now. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Did you hear what I said? Did you notice I didn't say that? Jesus said that. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field, his harvest field. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying, look at the needs of the world. Now listen to me, look at the spiritual needs, look at the physical needs of the world. Because if you look, if you take the time to walk outside your gate, you're going to see that the spiritual needs and the physical needs of the people in this world are great. I don't want you to be those people as a church who moan and complain and groan and don't do anything about it. He said, I want you to be an activist. I want you to have an activistic faith. I want you to become workers. I want you to do something about the things in this world. You see, contrary to popular belief, love. When we say, I love the world, Love is not this involuntary act where we only do something if we feel like it. Listen, listen to me, Crossroads. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Love is a choice that we make. Love is a decision of the will. Love is not a feeling. I fall in love. I fall out of love. That simply isn't the way that love works. You have to decide to love. You have to make the decision to love with an activistic faith. And I'm telling you that it will begin next door to the very place that you live. You see, God used the needs of other people in other countries to help me see the needs of people in my own neighborhood. God used people in other countries to help me see the needs of people in our church. Because you see, if I don't watch out, I can be just like some of those people in a story that we know well, the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, think about it. The story of the Good Samaritan, right there on the ground was somebody who had been beat up and they were bloody and they needed help. And what did people do? People just walked by and left him. You know, growing up, if you had a medical emergency, you would go to the ER at the local hospital. You know, now it's like going to Walmart if you go to the ER. You know, it's bad. But now, instead of just going to the ER, you have these urgent care centers popping up everywhere. There's one on Beckwith Road. And a few years ago, I was actually here on a Sunday morning, and I was having this, like, fire on my back. And I left here after the service, 
and I went to the urgent care center right there beside Publix. And they took me back, and they looked at this stuff on my back, and they said, you have shingles. And I said, I couldn't have shingles because that's for old people. And see, at Crossroads, our desire has always been that we would establish those urgent care centers all over town. We want to establish urgent care centers as a church. And you say, Randy, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've been telling us for the last several months how bad things have been for the church financially over the last couple of years. Wouldn't it be really expensive for us to try to go out and start these urgent care centers? And it would be real expensive, but I want you to understand the urgent care center is you. It's your house. Your home is the place where you just start simply to love the people around you. You just start loving the people next door to you. Listen, the, the family that's falling apart next door, the neighbor down the street who's dealing with addiction. Right from your home, you just start loving somebody that's terminally ill. Somebody that has a sexual past that just, their past has them so twisted up that they think that there's not any forgiveness for the things that they've done. Because I want you to hear me this morning. It's all about us seeing our neighbors with the eyes of Jesus. You have to make the decision to love the poor next to you. You have to make the decision to love the people in your community. You have to make the decision to love the people outside of your own gates. I mean, just imagine what would happen if every one of us just in this room right now lived our life with an activistic faith. And you established your home as an urgent care center in our community. But what about a need that's right under your nose? A need that's literally at your gate. I mean, you guys have heard me talk about the needs that we have on Sunday morning in our children's environments. And these needs are bigger now than they've ever been. I mean, literally, just before this service started, one of my grandkids asked me, they call me Grandy, that's Randy with a G, said, Grandy, are we going to have class today? No, we're not going to have class because we don't have anybody to volunteer. So they're in the service. Are we going to have class today and I have to tell my own grandchild no? Because we don't have any adults that will help with the need right outside of our gate. And see, here's the thing that you may not know before COVID. We were one of a few churches that were fortunate to see our numbers growing in our children's environments. But right now it's not the case. So the need that I have right now outside my gate 
is I need about 15 people to say, you know what, I'm not going to walk by that need outside of the gate, but I'll help you meet that need. And listen, people, it's about an hour of your time on Sunday morning, one time a week. In one hour, you can make a difference in the life of the next generation. And let me tell you, I think we can all see what's happening to this next generation. That they need help. And we need to get to work. Our options are wide open. So today, don't, 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 don't put on the goggles. And just walk out the gate. Put these on, the 3D glasses, because when you do, you know what you do? You'll see the need. And leave this service today and go back and talk with Amy. Talk with me. Make an indication on your tear-off that is part of the worship guide. And let us know that you're going to live your life with a 3D vision. And that you are willing to make a difference because you know there's a need just outside your gate. There was a businessman who took a, a trip to the beach just to go there and unplug and recharge. The first night he was at the beach, uh, a, a storm blew in. The next morning he got up. And as he was walking down the beach, there were thousands of starfish that had just washed up on the beach. And as he was walking, he, he saw this little boy who was down there on the beach. And this little boy was walking along, picking up those starfish one by one. And he was putting those starfish back in the water. And this man who was walking along the beach looked at the little boy and said, Son, you're not going to make any difference. You're not going to make any difference with those starfish because there are thousands of them. And that little boy looked at that man as he picked up a starfish. And he threw that starfish back in the water. And he looked that man in the eye and he said, I just made a difference for that one. And you can make a difference. You can make a difference. One life at a time. So let me challenge you. Change the story of a child. Change the life of a child. People, listen to me. Jesus has called us to be people who can truly say that we love. We love the world and we love those around us. And you might not be able to change the whole world. 
but you can change the story from one child or two children. You can change the, per the life of a person or two. You can make a difference in the life of other people in some way. Do you know what my prayer is? My prayer is this, that people in this community find hope in Jesus Christ through the things that we do at Crossroads. My hope is that, they that, that, that in turn they will become a force that unleashes unprecedented levels of compassion in this church, in this community, and in this world. Let's be the people. Let's be the church that has that 3D kind of love. Let's be those people who love with a holistic love, who are moved by compassion with a, a penetrating vision, and let's be an activist who live our life with an activistic faith. That faith that says, you know what? I will roll up my sleeves and I will love God and in turn, I'll love like God loves me with my family and with this world. I'll do it in my church. I'll do it in my home. And I'll do it in my community. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? Maybe today you're here and you're one of those people who need an urgent care center. Maybe you would say, you know what? You've been living a messy life. And you need attention. Maybe you're like the rich man in the story that Jesus told at the very beginning of this message. Maybe you haven't prepared for what's going to happen to you after this life. So maybe right now you just need to do business with God and you need to get ready. Tend to the spiritual dimension of your life. Or maybe you just need to ask God to give you the vision to see people and to love people like Jesus did and Jesus said. God, this morning all across this audience, those listening online, those watching online, are people who find themselves in different places. Some need that urgent care center. Some need to be shown the way, the truth, and the life. Some need to be able to see their life, their home, their world as you do. They need to learn to live their life with a 3D kind of love. So God, this morning we ask you to do something in our lives that's new. COVID has made us complacent and lazy and uncaring. It's caused us just to focus on us. And we go in and out of the gates and we don't see anybody else. Help us this morning to see things the way you see things. To react to things the way that you would have us to react to things. Do something new. 
as only you can. As we pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. In the pressing, you are making the wine. In the soil, I now surrender. You are breaking the ground. Won't you stand with us this morning? So I yield to you and to
to me.